funny. You know why that's funny? Because it's true. I've been to so many of those prayer meetings, but I can't believe that I've never taken snacks. It's so inspired, although um, it's a real rookie who takes one in a packet. If you're a serious secret snacker, you know that it's got to be Tupperware. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> and if you spend any time at all in kids' ministry, you have prayed for a lot of cats. I once, true story, prayed for a dog every Sunday for two years, only to find out that it had been dead for many years already. Um, but anyway, there was a process going on there, so we're just going to leave it, leave it with that. <laughs> so the question about prayer is this. If prayer is um, this amazing grace that we've been given by the King of Heaven to communicate with Him in all His glory, why does it so often look like that? That's the question, because we know as Jesus' followers that there's something about prayer that is just so central to who we are and how we follow Jesus and the life that we live with him. We know that. Uh, it's just a given, isn't it, that prayer is supposed to be super important. And definitely here at Door of Hope, powerful prayer is something that we really value. Um, so I got an email to say, can you speak tonight, on March 26, a couple of weeks ago, um, and I'm pretty much the worst skim reader in the world, so I read the first line, which is, can you do the 26, and I'm like, mm, yep, that's fine, um, and then didn't read the rest, it was only a two-line email, so I really should not skim read that much, um, and the second line was, and by the way, the topic is prayer. Uh, now, if I'd read that, I would have been like, ooh, no, I don't mean the one who speaks on prayer. Nobody wants to speak on prayer. <laughs> and you know why that is? It's be, well, there's lots of reasons. One is because I feel like you've heard it all before. Um, the second thing is that I think that you're going to think that I'm some kind of prayer expert because I'm the one who has to talk about it. Or um, you're going to expect me to tell you really cool prayer stories that have big miraculous endings um, that inspire you all to pray more for the rest of your days. Um, I can't do any of that, um, because let's be real. Um, and there's this beautiful verse tucked away in the message version in Matthew chapter 6. Um, and I found it a few weeks ago, and I've been pondering a really long time, and it says, let's not reduce holy mysteries to slogans. And it would be super easy for me to revert to preacher survival mode and give you the five P's of prayer or the three D's of prayer if I didn't want to go on five and, you know, chuck some alliteration in there. Um, but prayer is a holy mystery. That is half the fun, isn't it? Um, but if we make it one more thing that we're supposed to get good at to be a good Christian... Um, I think it ends up looking like that. Because I feel like our issue is not information about prayer. I know that you can go out, on your, actually on your phone right now if you want to, you can just you know, stream, podcast, a hundred different sermons by people much more educated in Hebrew and Greek than me and be truly inspired about prayer, if you want to, you could do that right now. You could go onto Amazon and type in prayer and you see how many books there are written by really smart people on prayer. You don't need me to give you any more information about prayer. That's not our problem. Our problem is motivation. Yeah? It's not a head issue. 
It's a heart issue. What we really need is to catch a revelation of what our relationship with Jesus really means. Um, So that, in a way, I feel like that's kind of easier (laughs) for me to talk to you about. Um, But I've had something on my mind for a while. Um, Over the new year, I kind of like to do things in seasons because my ordered brain kind of takes over sometimes. So this year is the year of me reading the Gospels in the message. Um, So all of my verses are from there tonight. Um, It's not a preference thing, although this is the, like, cleanest Bible I own, so it's nice that it's here tonight. Um, But I knew, I read this just after New Year, and I felt God say, next time um, there's an opportunity um, for you to preach, this is it. This is the thought. Um, So I've been sitting on it for a while. Um, But then, of course, the email comes through and says, by the way, you're speaking on prayer. And I'm like, God, I have no idea how these two things are connected, so you're going to have to help me out. It's a bit random that we're going to pull this all together. But we will. Um, But it's from here. It's from Matthew chapter 4. And it's about the time after Jesus' baptism where he was tested in the desert. It says, Next Jesus was taken into the wild by the Spirit for the test. The devil was ready to give it, and Jesus prepared for the test by fasting 40 days and 40 nights. That left him, of course, in a state of extreme hunger, which the devil took advantage of in the first test. Since you are God's son... Speak the word that will turn these stones into loaves of bread. Jesus answered by quoting Deuteronomy, it takes more than bread to stay alive. It takes a steady stream of words from God's mouth. Um, And if you've grown up with any other version of the Bible, you probably know it as man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Because our issue is not that we don't pray or that we don't know about prayer, The issue is the relationship behind it. It's the life that behind it. Um, So my ordered brain couldn't cope with actually not giving you three Ds or three Ps or whatever. So I have actually got three things. Um, But what I wanted to draw out of that random scripture that doesn't seem to have anything to do with prayer is this. Three things that suck the life out of your prayer life. Um, Because if we believe in powerful prayer, we really want to avoid it ending up like the awkward. Not that awkward is the worst thing that you could be, by the way. Do you know Jesus never spoke or condemned anyone for being awkward? Which is great for me. He said an awful lot about being fake, and he said a whole lot about being hard-hearted. But he never condemned you for being awkward. So can we just get rid of this whole thing that our society has got right now, where hashtag awkward is the worst thing that you could possibly be, that being a little bit socially left of centre is terrible and a fate worse than death. It's not. Being fake and hard-hearted is going to put you in way more trouble than being awkward ever will. That's just a little bit for free. That's got nothing to do with anything. Okay. So the first thing that can suck the life out of your prayer life is praying to the wrong God. Now, bear with me. I'm not talking about a God of another name. I'm talking about the image that we have in our own mind of the God that we believe in and the one that we are praying to. Because that's a really strong thing. Your perception of your God is a very strong thing. And I have this um, fantastic atheist friend in Sydney. We've been friends for about 10 years and she's my friend because she talks as fast as I do. So we get a lot of conversations into a very short space of time. So I can't actually tell you if this conversation ever happened or if I thought of it later and thought, that's a good conversation, I must have that one day. Um, (laughs) But 
she's so passionately anti-God. And I hear her in lots of stuff we talk about, talk about um, how anti-God she is. Um, And I have this thought that says, you know what, she's right. She's 100% right not to believe in God. Because when I hear her talk about God, he is mean, he's cruel, he's unloving, he's into payback. Um, And you know what, I don't believe in him either because he doesn't exist. That God doesn't exist. The God that does exist is a good, good father. And Satan's first attack on Jesus will be ours too, which is if you are the son of God, if you really are sons and daughters of God, then dot, dot, dot. The first attack that comes is on our core identity as sons and daughters of the Most High God. And we wonder why we don't expect much from prayer. Actually, perhaps it is that we don't really expect much from God. I was talking to some friends um, last year. I was driving past Glendue Primary School and the rain was just bucketing down and the windscreen wipers were going. Um, And I just kind of stopped in my head and put my attention to God for a minute and I just said, hey God, thank you for the rain. Because I don't know if you remember in the middle of last year, the dams were getting pretty low and there were lots of stuff in the news about, oh, Tasmania's going to run out of power and it was costing people lots of money and... um, You know, I just, the week before, I actually got really desperate. I was like, God, have mercy on our state because for all the engineers and all their smartness and all the awesome things they're doing, nobody but you can fix this. Nobody else can make rain. You're the only one who can fix this. And I actually remember getting a little bit desperate about it, which was amazing for me because I'm a farmer's daughter and my dad always said to me, I never pray for rain because the farmer next door might be praying for no rain. (laughs) <laughs> but I know that he is actually a very godly man, and I'm sure he prayed for the weather all the time, because when your livelihood is at the mercy of the elements, you really know who your God is. <laughs> it's a life of faith, a farmer's life. Um, but I, I just stopped and said, oh, thanks, it's raining. Oh, thank you so much, God. Totally forgetting that I'd had this really passionate time of prayer the week before, and just felt God drop into my spirit. Did you think that I wouldn't hear you? Did you think that I wouldn't hear you? I was like, hmm, actually, yes. Where on earth did I think that prayer went? Where do I think that my desperate heartfelt prayers go? Is it like I tie them up on a little healing balloon and let it go? Is it something that's just supposed to make me feel better and cleansed and then, you know, like, like burning a letter that you've written to yourself or something, some kind of ritual that lets us let go um, and feel a bit calmer and a bit more in control about our world? Is that what we think it is? Um, I think maybe there was a little bit in there. It's like, did I think that my father would not hear me when I asked for that? And I was laughing with someone later because I forgot to pray for it to stop. (laughs) So the floods last year, totally my fault. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, but it's not actually about the weather and neither am I tonight talking about answers to prayer because that's a whole other kettle of fish, isn't it? But the intent here is, who was I praying to? Was I praying to the air or was I praying to my good father who has compassion? You know, um, the God Allah um, that our Muslim friends worship and believe in, he is called um, the unmoved mover. 
That's one of the phrases that used to describe him. Because they believe that he orchestrates everything in history, but they also believe that he is unmoved emotionally by our plight as humans. So you, you hear often um, in their literature and in their lives the phrase, it's the will of Allah, uh, meaning he gets to decide, we just go with it. Whereas our God, we have this phrase that he is a deeply moved mover. He moves everything in time and space, but he is deeply moved by us, by our pain. Uh, he is compassionate and a good father. So if we're praying to a false God, a God who's mean and doesn't care, it's no wonder that there's no power behind that because there's no love behind it. Yeah? Second thing that can... Oh, hang on. No. Let me go back a bit. Um, Taryn read this this morning, but I think it's so powerful to actually hear the words of Jesus when he taught us to pray uh, from Matthew 6. He said this, I'm just going to read from here. Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God and you'll begin to sense his grace. The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas, programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father you are dealing with and he knows better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply. And then he goes to teach them the Lord's Prayer, which of course starts with our Father. Revolutionary for people to start to pray like that, our Father. Because if prayer is communication, if it's interaction, if it's intimacy, it really is just an outworking of our already existing relationship with God. If our perception of that relationship is that it lacks love and it lacks life, then our prayer life is going to reflect that. But can I just say as well um, that lots of how we see God is tied up in our early life and our early experiences and understanding of fatherhood and family. Um, and if you've had experience like that that does make it hard for you to see God as a father, we're all constantly working on it and there's hope in this process that we go through to understand more of who God is. But if um, that is something that you know is inhibiting your relationship with God, um, I recommend a course called Search for Life. We do it here at Door of Hope. I've done it a couple of times now. Um, and it goes into that stuff about how we can break some of the perceptions of God being a mean and angry God at us because he is a loving God. Okay, number two. Second thing that sucks the life out of your prayer life is a preoccupation with things or answers instead of his kingdom. Now, what's really easy about prayer is that it's really easy to focus on measurable outcomes, um, jobs, finances, healing, life direction, weather, direction in life, car parks. Who are the car park prayers around here? People like me who leave at the last minute. <laughs> Lost glasses and car keys. God is faithful, can I just say? God is faithful. <laughs> now, I'm not contradicting what I just said about him being our father who is moved with compassion by us. Um, he cares about that stuff. He really does. Um, and it says later in Matthew chapter 6 that our heavenly father knows what we need. 
He told us to pray for that stuff like a child, to lean on him, to trust him for all of that stuff. But what a shame if that was the extent of our relationship with him. Wouldn't it? You parents here, it would be like your parents, um, like your kids hitting you up for cash and never speaking to you again. <laughs> like, we just come to you when we've got something that we need, um, but we're not going to tell you about our day, what we're thinking, what we like. We're not going to have any of that relationship. We're just going to get the stuff. It's not to say that you don't love them, but where's the conversation in that? So it says um, in Matthew 6.33, and I know it from memory from the NIV, because it's, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Um, And that verse is burned into my memory because it it was very integral in my chasing phase of Tim Oliver um, when I was 16. (laughs) When he first started to catch my eye um, and I followed him around Youth Alive rallies as a volunteer as much as I could. Um, And then I was in church one morning, we sang that song, which was, you know, in the brown book, chorus number 96, Seek Ye First the Kingdom of God. Um, And I knew that was for me. So in my maturity and my wisdom, I waited a whole month seeking God. And then it's like, hmm, made myself known to him. I know why I told you that story, because I just, just, because I laugh at myself, I think. Um, but you know, if we go back to Matthew 4, that it takes more than bread to stay alive. In, is our language of prayer predominantly bread prayers? You know, the stuff that we need, our physical needs. Our Heavenly Father knows that we need them, but seek first. What if the language of our prayer changed to reflect the priority of the kingdom of God first? before car parks, even though they're there, especially outside the hospital, but the kingdom. And he said in the Lord's Prayer, taught us how to pray this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is on heaven. Do we pray like that? Because the kingdom of God is wherever his rule and reign is, wherever his authority is. We're talking in this series about being better together. As a group of Jesus followers, imagine if our language of prayer changed to reflect, seek first the kingdom of God. And our prayers started to reflect, your kingdom come, your will be done. Imagine if we prayed like that, say on Wednesday at 7.30 here in the small auditorium. You see what I did there? It was smooth. (laughs) But isn't that exciting? The power of what we seek first in prayer being the king and his kingdom. It's kind of like living on the edge. A bit more exciting than car parks. <laughs> Although he's faithful. All right, point three, which is this. The thing that can suck the life out of our prayer life is talking to God or about God as a substitute for listening to God and obeying him. So if prayer is an outworking of relationship, what does it look like when one person does all the talking? I know, I have many relationships where I do all the talking. (laughs) So when we talk about prayer, we get so focused on how to say it, when to say it, how often to say it. And we must say it with two or three gathered in his name or Jesus won't show up. What words do you need to use to get the answer that you want? Do you end your prayers with in Jesus' name? I tried doing that last week and I couldn't do it. 
I, I tried to, and then it just like rolled off my tongue right at the end of the prayer. <laughs> I'm going to grow in that. Because God doesn't need this magic formula. It's a holy mystery that he understands our heart. We live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. A steady stream of words from the mouth of God. How aware are we of what he's saying? He's always speaking. It's what we just read then in Matthew 4. A steady stream of words from the mouth of God. Are we listening? Are we attentive? You know, last year I used to tell my students, just pay attention. You don't know what he's going to say, when he's going to say it, how he's going to say it through. He's a creative God, just pay attention. It's all part of the adventure. I grew up in this um, small country church in rural Tasmania, um, and there was this one guy there who got saved at the Billy Graham crusade in the Launceston City Park. And he would tell his testimony, and tears would come into his eyes, and he would tell that story because he was, you know, another country kid, 16-year-old boy who just happened to be there at the back of the crowd and could not resist the gospel, which is just an amazing story in itself, the way that Jesus himself is so attractive to people. But he would tell this story and he would be so passionate and every time he would just get so stirred up. But I noticed that every time he had to preach or do a kid's talk or spoke in a meeting, he'd tell that story, completely integral to his walk. But I hoped, I think, as a 16-year-old myself, that please tell me that God says something else in the next 30 years. That that's not the only time I ever encounter him or the only thing I ever hear from him. Tell me that he says more than that. And we don't want to have a conversion experience where we have a God encounter, we accept him as our saviour, and then the rest of our life is pretty dry. So he's always speaking to us, to you, and as a member of this church, it is actually your responsibility to hear the voice of God for yourself and for us together. You can't leave that up to the leaders because you also are Jesus followers. Of course they're doing that because they're really responsible, excellent leaders, but we are better together. There is a groundswell of God speaking to you about things. And how exciting is it when you think God's saying something and somebody else comes to you and realise that You're hearing the same thing. Does that not build your faith? Yeah? So don't be quiet about what God is saying to you. Do you know my favourite question is really awkward, which is what I was talking before about awkward. Um, My favourite question is, hey, what's God saying to you? And I've done this to some of you, and you're like, "Uh, okay, could you work on your conversation openers? Because I'm struggling with that one right now. (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, I do care about your study and your jobs and your family and all that other stuff, but I want... On my recently played list, I want on my most frequently played list to be the things of God and the things that he's saying. Do you understand what I mean by that? I want my conversation to reflect my priorities and my heart and the things of the kingdom. So, where am I going to go now? I think the danger is that we get saved and we tack prayer on to our life as one more thing that Christians are supposed to do. Yeah? 
And is it any wonder that we don't stick with that? I think sometimes we have a lot of shame about our prayer life. I know that if I did a survey right now, stick your hand up if you have an awesome rocking prayer life and you're so proud of it right now. We always feel like we should be praying more or better or different. And I love what Jesus said to us in Matthew 7. He said, these words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on the solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded or tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. You know, when I um, first left here in 2005, I left halfway through the year and felt God call us to Sydney to um, help with the church plan up there. Um, and I found myself teaching in one of the toughest high schools in Sydney. And it looked like a jail. It was pretty much destroyed. They have massive steel fence running around the perimeter. Um, and I felt so far out of my depth, it wasn't funny. I've never felt so lonely or so stressed or so inadequate in my life. And it was like every day of my life it was a performance of feeling confident because they can smell your fear. And I had to pretend I knew exactly what I was doing and I was terrified. I'd been out teaching for uh, maybe 18 months, two years tops. And there was this one time where the rival high school um, started texting students from our school and challenging them to a fight. We're coming around to bash you. Um, and so the school went into lockdown. I don't know who found out about it, but this happened at lunchtime while I was on duty. Um, and I remember standing in this small brick opening um, with very large Pacific Islander boys, year 12, you know, facial hair, busting out of their shirts. They were so massive, just like wild in their eyes that someone would dare challenge them to a fight. They were ready to fight. And behind me, there's glass bottles flying over the fence and male staff members trying to keep everybody down and, you know, parents are ringing, the school's in lockdown, they're under attack, all this sort of stuff. And I'm in this gap and I can hear myself saying, what on earth am I doing here? How did I end up here? And what do you do when your circumstances are so different um, to the words that you feel God spoke? So this was happening, but underneath the foundation, the steady stream of words of the mouth of God over my life was, send me, I will go. Isaiah chapter 6. We kept singing this song. I blame that song for moving in the first place. But, you know, send me, I will go. And I had this um, lady come and sing this prophetic song over me one Sunday saying, um, he's more than enough for you. And I can still sing it in my head now. I still sing it to myself every week. It's just this impromptu song, he's more than enough for you. So in that time when I'm holding back massive Maori boys, I'm thinking to myself, thank goodness for that phrase of the words of the mouth of God that is my anchor and my foundation in this time. And that's what we have this for. This is our anchor and our foundation. So when you think of all these things that can strip our life, the life out of our prayer life, I'm just going to leave you with one thing that's going to put it back in, and that's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all of your strength. Prayer is just an outworking of the relationship you have with God. Just love him and all that other stuff 
become a whole lot easier. Otherwise, we're just doing homeowner improvements to the life we already have. We're just tacking prayer onto the side as something that we should do, as opposed to just being so desperate to communicate with the God of heaven. There's no light app version of prayer. Do you know what I mean by light app? It's one of the apps that you can get that has a little bit of the functionality, but you don't have to pay for it. There's no such thing, actually. A life with God, you have to deeply invest in. It's a relationship. We can't just tack on a little bit of Christianity. We have to tear it all down and start it on a foundation of just Jesus. And I remember being in the Frederick Street building when I just moved here as a student and hearing Wayne Kerrison preach a message on just Jesus. And it's been a guiding thought for my life when I feel out of control, like things are spinning, just Jesus, back to Jesus. Because all desire to pray and to communicate with God comes from loving him in the first place. Yep. Easy. I told you it wasn't going to be rocket science today. There's no alliteration. There's no how-tos. If we love Jesus more, we'll pray more. That's it. So how do you love Jesus more? I suppose 20 minutes in the chair. This story is about extravagant love that we didn't deserve. It's about a God who came to get us back. If you read it, you can't help but love him. And the middle bit, the gospel story about the bit where he gave his own son for us, there's a verse that says we love him because he loved us. If we want to love God more and pray more and interact with him more, we can do really well to reflect on how much he loves us in the first place. Um, So we're going to get some people to hand out communion now because how great is it that Jesus set us up with this? He set us up with something that we can remember him by regularly, remember the extent of his love. Because when we remember how much he loves us, it's so easy to respond with loving him. And can you imagine what our city will be like if every Jesus follower just falls madly in love with Jesus? If it just becomes devoted, our all, our everything. I don't think our city would ever be the same. Imagine what we could do in this place as Door of Hope, as Jesus followers, if we just become completely obsessed with Jesus. It's exciting. So we're just going to reflect on his sacrifice, on his great extravagant love. Um, We're just going to take communion together and we're going to worship a little bit more. Um, But that's all I've got for you. If you want to pray more, just love Jesus more. That's it.